This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. Well, if you're a Bible-believing Christian who holds that God made us male and female and that those two genders are immutable and changeless, then the transgender movement has become probably for you quite an alarming trend. It is now targeting children as young as elementary school and even kindergartners. And it's also become the cultural behemoth. Laws are being passed to protect something that a few years ago was considered a mental health issue. People have lost their jobs and careers, been shunned and ostracized and, of course, canceled when they have dared to push back against what has seemed more ideological than scientific. And there's a whole growing medical industry of drugs and surgery, big money, that is also feeding this creature. But voices are being raised against the tide. The Christian Post has a multi part podcast called Generation Indoctrination, delving into the, quote, transgender battle and gender chaos in America. First Things Magazine, a very intellectual and analytical journal, just re-released two articles on the transgender phenomenon, one from 2004. It was authored by Johns Hopkins uh, University professor of psychiatry, Paul McHugh, about why they stopped doing sex change surgery and the dangers of it, especially on young adults and teens. The other written more recently in 2016 about the growing conformity to the transgenderism ideals. In the article, author Catherine Kirsten, she's a senior policy fellow at Center of the American Experiment in Minneapolis. She writes about a conflict over transgender curriculum in a private but highly academic school. And in the piece, she explains how the school actually ignores the long-held psychological underpinnings of gender dysphoria, which is this idea that a boy or a girl feels they are trapped in the wrong sex. And here's a quote from her article. Gender dysphoria is often associated with pre-existing psychological problems such as anxiety, depression, autism spectrum disorders, and a history of sexual abuse or physical or mental trauma. Other predisposing and perpetuating factors include um, troubled peer dynamics, parental psychopathology and parental reinforcement of cross-gender behavior during the sensitive period of gender identity formation. There are, though, some legal pushbacks as well today. Florida's medical board uh, last week voted to ban gender transition surgeries, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for minors in the state. And for that, of course, the Senate, uh, the state is feeling the heat. The Human Rights Campaign, which is an LGBT advocacy group, condemned the decision. However, if you want to hear a personal story of one young person's venture into the transgender world, there is a new documentary film that follows the story of Daisy Strongin, who began identifying as a transgender male in her early teens. 
The producers say, quote, like so many other young girls, she was told that she needed to permanently alter her body. As such, she took testosterone for years, which permanently altered her voice and had a double mastectomy, which she almost immediately regretted. And now that she has detransitioned, Daisy is telling her heartbreaking yet hopefully um, but yet hopeful story in the new film. And the film is called Disconnected, the real story behind the transgender explosion. And filmmaker Don Johnson joins me now. Welcome. Welcome, Don. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know, one of the first uh, questions I asked uh, when I was, you know, this, saw the documentary and and uh, saw Daisy's post in her teens uh, was, you know, where were, were her parents? You know, her parents were never part of the film. Is that is that intentional? Um, not necessarily. Um, we tried to focus more on the story of the transitioners themselves. Plus, it's a very touchy issue uh, between parents and kids. Mm-hmm. And even today, I think um, Daisy has a lot of regrets about how she dealt uh, with that with her parents, but also her parents have a lot of regrets. So it is a difficult issue. And frankly, one of the reasons I made the film was to help parents give them a few more tools because her parents were against this. Mm-hmm. So let me say that flat out that they were not supportive. However, um, there's so much pressure and so much relational antagonism between parents and kids on this. Right. Uh, For example, parents are told, if you don't support this, your child will commit suicide. You know, would you rather have uh, a dead, uh, a dead daughter or a live son? Right. Basically is, is how it goes. And so, yeah, I, we didn't go around and interview too many parents just because a lot of times the parents, I mean, I've actually stood on the street um, with parents, but the parents are wearing disguises because wow. they don't, they want to be speaking against this, but they also don't want to what they feel would be a permanent break with their kid, mm. right? It's just a very tough thing. If the kid's thinking that they want to transition, the parent wants to maintain a relationship with the child but at, at the same time, not support this whole thing. So it's a very tough line for parents to uh, traverse. And that's one of the reasons we're, we're telling this story is that I don't think parents are getting, like you mentioned, I don't think parents are getting the full story a lot you of know, times. It's interesting, from- too, because one of the things you bring up in the, the documentary is really how parents are being ostracized outside of the child's life and that the school is more than happy to affirm the student's choices and that that makes that almost completes the break with the family you know yeah that's that's absolutely right it's very cult-like in that sense that um the movement itself purposely puts kids against their parents and you'll so you'll see signs in gsa clubs like i'm your parent now you know Mm -hmm. i'm your mother or father now and it is saying to the child your parents don't know what's best for you uh your parents are are transphobes or whatever we know what's best for you you know what's best for you right therefore follow along this which is very you know this is very very much and if you're a christian you'll say okay this is violation of, you know, commandment five, you know, honor your father and mother. These are one of the things that, you know, this is sort of this is slow pull away from the biblical idea of the, the nuclear family. Um, but one of the, how did you meet Daisy in the first place? Because there is did she reach out to you or did somebody introduce you to her? How did that happen? 
Um, no, I reached out to her. I think she had talked to uh, my friend Abigail Favalli, who's got a new book out on the genesis of gender and uh, now teaches at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. uh, Daisy had actually been in a short segment on 60 Minutes, I think, about mm -hmm. detransitioners. And so I reached out to several uh, detransitioners around the country um, just to see who would be willing to come on camera. And, and Daisy was very gracious. So we went and visited her a few times in Chicago. You know, and then and then just the idea like you why did you get this idea committed to making this film? Yeah, as a parent, that's probably, I've got four kids, three mm -hmm. girls between 12 and 20. And the teenage girl culture is absolutely insane right now, Lauren. I mean, it's just so difficult yeah. to be a teenage girl, even in a protective environment. You know, like I feel like we live in a fairly, you know, in a bit of a bubble, frankly, compared to many. But even in that bubble, um, we have, you know, friends of our friends who are transitioning, um, a lot of pain and suffering that we see even in our own community. Plus, I noticed as someone who has been in like public school system, um, as you interact with the medical industry, I became very alarmed at how all encompassing the trans ideology is becoming on an mm -hmm. institutional level. Yeah. Like you cannot you cannot walk through your day in any sort of public fashion without this really hitting you in the face. Like what pronouns are you and what are you, you know, this <laughs> the uh, your kids have to have this discussion when they enter into public life. And so the yeah, the all encompassing aspect of it um, and the force with which it was coming and the speed with which it was was yeah, coming down the line. It just kind of just took off. Yeah, like, um, so, you know, I mean, in, in California now, it's like a sanctuary state for other kids from other states to go behind their parents' backs and come and get these cross-sex hormones, these chemical castration drugs, surgeries even. And so, yeah, I was just, as a father, you just feel like a tsunami's coming and it's already overtaken you. And so I started researching it and thought, well, this, this is a story that more people need to hear. You know, it's um, there was a book written in 1994 before the transgender kind of um, thing took off, and it's called Reviving Ophelia. It's written by Mary Piper, uh, Ph.D. Uh, Piper, I think. It's P-I-P-H-E-R, right? Reviving Ophelia. So it's saving the selves of adolescent girls, and it talks about this phenomenon in our culture. This is 1994, that when girls... Before they hit puberty, they are vibrant and healthy and fun-loving, and they try all these different things, and then puberty kind of hits, and all of a sudden their bodies change, and they get a little uncomfortable because, am I pretty enough? Uh, do I have, you know, the, the right body type? And they're very uncomfortable. And now you've—and this was a phenomenon in 1994. Now you've put into the mix the transgender idea that maybe it's because I'm, a, I'm, I'm really a boy— that I should, right. you know, and, and so we already knew that junior high girls have, an, have a problem. You know, they have an issue of anxiety about who they are and what they are. And, and this is just sort of being added to the mix. But one of the things that really, really just will strike you in this documentary is when how committed Daisy is to, 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 to transitioning. And this, this is her words. This is from her words and because you've charted her over a period of time because she obviously gave she she did these um sort of videos of herself 
over the period. And she says, I just gained like a thousand more reasons to live. And it's so huge. And I didn't think I would be this elated. But I'm so proud of myself for doing this. I'm so proud of my chest. I just can't wait to live my life. And we see the scars of her mastectomy. I mean, this is, I mean, if you're a parent and you listen to this, you really think this child is doing the right thing for herself. That's, yeah, that, and that's the, really what's so scary. Yeah, the, the footage is shocking, isn't it? Um, she is euphoric. It's almost like she's uh, on a drug high. And this is what happens after you have surgery. And this can go for months, even years, which which skews the data sometimes on this. For Daisy, it actually only lasted less than three weeks. Yeah. Uh, she was she was already disappointed after three weeks. She knew that it was a mistake. But um, to sort of tie your previous thoughts together there, Lauren, I think you're exactly right about the situation that girls find themselves in. And, you know, the book was from 94. Actually, the previous film that I uh, made called Unprotected covered the sexual revolution from about 1960 and on. Mm -hmm. And what you see is the pornification, the sexual objectification of girls, the other trauma that they are going through. And we do have a section even in this film uh, about that, that it's not really any surprise that they don't want to be girls anymore in that situation. And so you put all of those factors together, the trauma that they're facing as a, a young child, the broken families that many of them come through now just the psychological trauma, and then they enter into puberty and the pornification that they are faced with, the sexual objectification they, mm -hmm. they are faced with as a child, mm -hmm. of course they want to escape that. And so trans comes along and gives them an opportunity to escape that. And at the beginning, it feels great. Like it feels amazing. Right. You right. Just, you just you just added twenty five thousand followers on Instagram by changing your pronouns. You post that vlog of you after your top surgery, and you're a hero now. You've got you've got a, a you know YouTube channel now with two hundred thousand people following you. But the fact remains that you have mutilated your body. None of the problems that you had before have been fixed. And in fact, now they're exacerbated. And so the depression and the anxiety and all the rest of the stuff that went undiagnosed before is still there and now will come back even worse. And so it's, yeah, that's what, that's the story we're trying to tell. Like Daisy yeah. is, is a great example. And it's so great that she does record all of her story on her phone as she's going Yeah, in that she finds herself like at bottom, she makes a decision to become trans. She feels like she's at the top, but actually, no, <laughs> it's a disaster. Yeah, you know, one of the doctors in the documentary talked about an internal wound, that they're trying to solve an internal wound through an external way. Like you're trying, there's something wrong inside. I'm hurting. I'm in pain somehow. And I can solve this by, you know, this psychological problem by doing surgery. I mean, it's like anybody who says the problem of my life is that my nose is all wrong. So I'm going to have a nose job and every problem in my life will now disappear because I get a nose job. I mean, this is yeah. kind of the same thing. No, it totally is. Or the anorexic who comes and thinks they're obese. And if they could just have surgery, I would be fine. Like doctors normally, as Dr. Patrick Lappert, who's a plastic surgeon, is just amazing in the film uh, that you're talking about. Um, he's very clear about this. Like as a plastic surgeon, uh, as a medical professional, when someone comes in with a clear psychological problem, you do not do surgery on these people. I mean, that's, that's just a basic law, like first do no harm. Yeah. And unfortunately, 
similarly, when it comes to the sexual issues, the trans issues, we flip that on our head. Now we don't look for the psychological problems, which are obviously there, by the way. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing how not only the medical industry, but this is something that surprised me, just how much the counseling industry has been turned upside down by this so that now people can... I I see this all the time, Lauren. People can go into counseling with a clear problem of like depression Mm -hmm, based mm -hmm. on clear experiences. They can be in counseling for seven, 10 years. That counselor will never make a connection between their current problems and previous trauma uh, and even a divorce, anything that we normally would have looked at as some of the causes of these things. They're absolutely not even bothering to look anymore. And it's it's really fascinating how this ideology has really undermined like traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, where we would just try to line people's ideas up with reality. Yeah. That's we've completely abandoned that. It's it's just a it's sad, but on, on just a sociological level, it's just very fascinating to me how quickly that has happened. Uh we're gonna take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back talking with filmmaker Don Johnson about his film Disconnected. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we are back with uh, filmmaker Don Johnson talking about his film Disconnected, which is um, basically looking at the um, sort of, uh, it's called Disconnected, the real story behind the transgender explosion, looking at a, uh, the case of Daisy Strongen, who, um, you know, who identified as male in her early teens and then went through all the transition, had a mastectomy and the testosterone and the puberty blockers, all of that kind of stuff. And then detransition back to being a female. Um, but one of the things that should alarm parents, and this is why it's so important to get the inf- a lot of information, is that uh, the film brings out that 30 percent of, of, of the transgender young people are on the autism spectrum. That's a huge number. Why is autism now becoming kind of part of the discussion about transgender? Yeah. And in fact, that 30 percent is probably on the low end. Anecdotally, when you talk to people in the industry, it's it's probably closer to 50 percent. The fact is, kids on the autism spectrum have certain characteristics that make them particularly susceptible to being sucked into this trans phenomenon, the cult-like nature of of trans. For example, they're just not comfortable in their body. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. one aspect Mm -hmm. of being on the trans spectrum is that your body doesn't really do what what you want it to do a lot of the time. And trans comes along and says, well, the reason you're not comfortable in your in your body is that you were born in the wrong body, that you need to surgically alter your body. And so that, well, hey, that sounds very, uh, you know, seems like a reasonable assertion. They're also just not comfortable socially in a neurotypical environment. They just don't make friends as easily as other kids. They don't communicate as easily as other kids do. And trans offers an alternative to that, this very tight-knit 
uh, community that you can be a part of and not only be a part of, mm -hmm. but be a star. Uh, Maria Keffler, who's a parent we interview in the film, um, talks about how they love bomb these kids like they that you get so much attention and love as part of the, you know, GSA group and becoming a trans. Yeah, it's very, they very much just, affirmed this choice. I mean, it's yeah. like this affirmation care. Oh, you're wonderful. You're wonderful as this. And before there was nothing. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, who doesn't want to be affirmed? And then also autistic kids are very much in their heads, like they think through things. They're not necessarily communicating mm -hmm. with their parents, with other kids, but they're thinking about it. They're thinking very deeply. And then they have sort of black and white thinking a lot of times where you make a, you think about it, you make a decision and you're locked in. And so once they're in, they decide, yep, yeah, you know what? I am trans and they lock into that after giving it a lot of thought. It's very hard to get them out. And so, yeah, kids on the autism spectrum, that's, I think, why some of the reasons there's others, but that's why you find so many uh, in the trans community. And again, this is another big failure of the medical and counseling industries right now. That connection, I mean, that should be a huge red flag for people, yeah, right? Like absolutely. You, should be, you should be seeing this and saying, what is going on here? Uh, yet it's never really remarked upon. One of the things you also brought out, because it, the medical field in America is kind of slow to understand the psychological um, and elements behind transgenderism. And one of the things you bring out is the medical records in Sweden. Sweden really stopped doing a lot of this because they have medical records, you, what you call from the womb to the tomb, and they're all part of the same database. We don't have that here, so we can't make that, we can't see someone's progression. One of the things you talked about before, which you, every, most parents have heard, you know, better to have a, you know, a live girl than a dead boy kind of thing. Right. But what's right. But what Sweden's medical records show is that even though there is this euphoria, um, euphoria soon after the surgery, they chart people years later and that the suicide rate is actually quite high. Can you talk about yeah, that? That's a, yeah, that's exactly right. The, the argument here in America is that um, these kids are going to get better. They're going to be less suicidal if we transgender, if we trans them. The fact is that the suicide rates do not go down, maybe for a short time, mm -hmm. um, although part of that is just bad counseling. But long term, kids are actually more suicidal. And the fact is, I mean, this is a very young phenomenon, right? We, right, right. We now have, you've got, you know, over 40,000 young girls in a Reddit thread right now who are coming out of transition. Uh, this thing started in 2015, you know, with 13 to 15 year olds. And mm -hmm. so you've got a lot of like 22, 23 year olds right now who are deeply regretful. And you're seeing lawsuits start to, to pop up. You're also seeing, by the way, in Europe and places like Sweden, but other European countries as well, just this week and in the past few months have stopped this treatment. They've started to, to ban the, the cross-sex hormones, which, by the way, I mean, here in America, we prescribe those things off-label. They're chemical castration wow. drugs that we used to give to sex offenders, but we no longer do because of the side effects are so bad. What about the, the FDA? FDA is, the FDA is saying this is approved? Have, no, no, they have no. The FDA has not approved th this treatment for any of this stuff. So you're basically using a, drugs on healthy young people that are not even approved right. by the FDA. Absolutely, that's exactly right. There's there is no FDA approved treatment to give. 13 year olds puberty blockers this is just um pharmaceutical companies and doctors making a lot of money off of an unproven 
uh, way that uh, sociological fad really is what it is. And they, and they are making a lot of money so that you can't discount the money aspect of this. I mean, America is really an outlier in this. You know, I talked to people from, you know, yesterday I did interviews in Australia and Canada and you do European interviews. They're so shocked uh, when they come to America and all the pharmaceutical ads that they see everywhere on tv on the radio it's nothing but pharmaceutical ads and they're like that's not even allowed here <laughs> so we need to wow. we need to take into account that america is very much uh on the outside of this and increasingly so as um the data becomes more clear that this isn't helping anybody that this is um we're doing this to kids you know who who aren't allowed to buy cigarettes yet we're going to give them we're going to cut their breasts off uh, based on their self-diagnosis but and that's the only issue that there's a self-diagnosis you're letting a 10 or 11 year old or a 12 year old tell a doctor what's wrong with him or her that the, the, and, and they can actually they can actually prescribe surgery you know, and no one can say anything. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a really important point that Dr. Lappert and others make in the film is that once you hit the like, if you have a kid going to surgery as a 15 year old, but even as an 18 year old, I mean, even I, I don't even like draw that harsh of a line between minors and not because they are at the tail end of a a whirlwind of vortex where which started perhaps with them as 10 year olds who probably were severely depressed had a lot of anxiety other issues that went undiagnosed and they mentioned maybe even in passing or they were as it was suggested to them by a counselor that they maybe were trans after they make that self-profession everything in the entire industry now pushes them through that vortex mm -hmm. but they, they actually can't it's actually against the law in many states now to question that like if a child makes a self-diagnosis they're in they you can't even come in and question it or you risk losing your license you risk losing your um, access to the local pharmacy uh, your certification and so then you get sucked into this vortex where, okay, we're gonna we're gonna socially transition you. We'll change your name, you know, at school behind your parents' backs. We'll give you we'll give you puberty blockers. Then we'll give you cross sex hormones. We'll put you on testosterone. Um, none of these things are reversible, by the way. None of them. It's all a lie when you say we're just gonna pause puberty. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> you're gonna. You know, it's interesting too. Your your it's very true because in Daisy's case, um, and she detransitioned and her voice was still very kind of male like um yeah, even even when she back. came back I mean would not giving her estrogen help that or not no no the the voice uh, never comes back once it's changed and deepened um there's no reversing that at all actually Wow. Wow. Which is a huge, yeah, which is a huge um, disappointment <laughs> to these to these girls. That's a constant source. Like even even when you decide, OK, I'm, I'm going to go back and, you know, live as I was born. No, the voice never comes back. It's very scary in the fact that the legal system has really affirmed this and it's furthering. Uh, trying to separate parents from their children as if, you know, the, the, the culture or the government is better at raising your children than you are. I mean, that's... There, you know, there is a very anti-family, anti-parent vibe to this whole thing. And uh, that, uh, that, I didn't realize it was quite as deep as it was until I started making this film. And so there's the, uh, you know, I actually put in a section near the end of the film about this, that 
in the past, you know, teachers, I'm a school teacher myself, like you want as a teacher, you want parental involvement, you know, that that's where um, you get good results. So the parent needs to be involved in counseling. We know that good counseling involves tight uh, family, like the, the more you have communication with the parents, the better off the kid is. Yet now we've again flipped that on our on its head and we're excluding parents. We're excluding parents from counseling, from education. And that risk really makes me like try to like look more deeply. What is actually the the philosophy, even the spiritual attitude mm -hmm. behind this? You know, it's like it's a very I my conclusion was and you'll see this in the film that it's ultimately just a very anti-person, anti-god, anti-reality philosophy, ideology. It's it's one that rather than saying we are people made in the image of God, lovingly mm -hmm. created, a loving creator, we we are we need to rebel against that. Like we need to fight against the idea and we need to be our own gods and we need to self-create, you know, we need to make our world for ourselves. Well, living contrary to reality, which is what happens when you try to do that, I mean, we know that that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> just, right. It pain and suffering. And so that's um, I think it's it's more insidious. You know, we need to have so much compassion on these kids because they're being sucked into uh, an ideology that at root, I think, is very insidious and very dangerous. And I just I get the sense even that some of the people pushing it don't even know, like the damage that they are doing to these kids you know they, it's just it's a popular fad mm -hmm. <laughs> i get that it's being pushed by and it's not a grassroots thing by the way it's being pushed by big money players and not even that many of them but a few very rich and powerful ideologues have managed to you know get industries on their side and show that how these industries can make some money and push an ideology but the kids it's, it, those are the ones being affected it's not like it's not like we've had a 5,000% increase in diagnoses of this because suddenly a bunch of kids suddenly realized that they've been trans all along. I mean, that's just mm -hmm. not the case. Right. Like right. these can, these kindergartners are not suddenly realizing that they are trans. You know, they, they do not use that language. That's not the language. Right. Of it comes from the adults around them. You know, you bring up a good point though, is that, you know, it's just about your identity. Where is your identity? And, and you bring out, you know, sort of, you know, it's this sort of war with realities. In the old world, God was the hero. God was the hero, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Objective truth in the world and molded, and you molded yourself to that. In the new world, you know, Satan really is this hero. You know, it, you know, we are self-creators. You know, before anybody gets upset about the idea I'm relating to Satan, it's like you are either identifying with, you know, you know, God as you know, you've made in the image of, or you're being identified with um, sin, which is, you know. And Satan is the author of sin, which is, you know, that I am my own God. And that is that is the sort of satanic, demonic element um, that I can determine right or wrong for myself. I can determine whether my sex is, you know, male or female. And one of the things that is very, very hopeful in that this sort of, you know, you know, must have compassion on these and young people, because if you don't, I mean, Giving somebody what they want is not always the most loving thing, um, even as adamant and forceful as they may talk. And believe me, if you watch this documentary, you will see Daisy say, you will believe adamantly that this is what she needs. 
that this is going to save her life. This is the thing that's going to make life just so much more powerful for her. For her. You believe that when you see this. And then two years later, she talks about detransitioning. And she says, don't do this. Now, that should help parents understand what they're going through. But it's not going to be easy. Never going to be easy. Um, and this is what I thought it was the most powerful thing at the end. You talk about Jesus' words, salvation of the flesh. Not from the flesh, but of the flesh. Jesus took on humanity to redeem our bodies. God taking on a body to reach us. The word made flesh. Um, you know, and I think that's really most important to understand is that um, Daisy's story ends so positively, and it's such a powerful kind of message that beyond the, um, you know, the hurt of taking all of the drugs that she took, she transitions back to female and she ends up having a baby. She gets married and has a baby. And just the idea is like, oh, my goodness, how was that possible when all of those drugs in her body could have made her sterile? It, it, she uh, so it is a very hopeful ending. And in fact, Daisy made a decision. She was about she was within a few months of having to have surgery to remove her reproductive organs, because that's what happens when you go on these drugs. You have about four years to five years before you have to have surgery everything inside is and why do you have to have to that removed. surgery why do you have to have surgery well, yeah, to you're, well as far i'm no i'm no doctor but as far as i understand it your uh they atrophy they they need to be removed um because they're now a danger to your body and so you have um a hysterectomy, I think, is the proper term. Mm -hmm. But yeah. yeah, so you're so you're no longer. So Daisy was actually thinking through this. She was she wanted to have kids. She never even through this whole thing. She always knew that she wanted to have kids. She wanted to be a parent, and she started thinking through this, um, which she hadn't been that much before. She just thought, oh, I don't know, we'll figure it out. You know, uh, she started looking at things like adoption and surrogacy and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that she was going to have to spend. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like she just started come to her right mind. She's like, actually, my body right now, maybe if possible, that it would still just have a baby for free. You know? like, <laughs> like, <laughs> she actually thought that she's like, what am I doing? Like, I still have a body that produces babies. And it was just this light bulb went on in her head. I feel like, wow. You know what? This is this is kind of insane for me to be going further down this path when I know I want to have kids. And here I am. How am I ever going to afford to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to adopt? And do I even like the ethics of all that and, or the surrogacy and all mm -hmm, this stuff? Right. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, why don't I just stop taking these hormones? Right. <laughs> and so, right. And though, thankfully, she did. It was it was a little bit questionable. She was a bit. Um, she's very thankful, obviously, uh, and a bit surprised that she was um, still have able to have a baby and it was healthy. And so the yes, the film ends just so powerfully. People are always in tears at the end. I don't want to give too much away, but it is a very hopeful, encouraging story. Uh, there is life after transition. And um, we need, you know, we need to help these girls see that, that, mm -hmm. that there is a way out of this, that your depression, your anxiety, um, the assault that you've went through, all of these things that are causing you to hate who you are, 
Yeah. We get that, right? You are hating who you are. I understand it. But that doesn't mean we need to add to the pain by destroying your body. Yeah. Right? We there is a different way. We can we can heal you. And even if you have destroyed your body a little bit, hopefully not entirely, but you there is healing, there is hope. And so that's really the the story we wanted to tell at the end there and, and yeah. yeah daisy's story is just so but cool before we go though because i wanted to i forgot to get to this point because i think it's important to bring out there are people in the documentary that adamantly believe that that they're being a transgender male or female is the right thing to do um and they said they've known it since they were little in one case the the man said you know i had all these bra- uh, bows in my hair or brettes in my hair and i just threw them out and and you know how do you deal with that when someone believes it's something that happened when they were two or three? Um, the adults around them thought, you know, that was a sign that the child was a different sex. Yeah, this this whole notion that kids that's from uh, Diane Aronsaft, actually, who's quite a um, popular person, professor at UC Berkeley in this movement. The argument is that you are born one way or the other and that kids know this and that they will give you signs declaring this. Things like um, pulling barrettes out of their hair if they don't want to be a girl. Well, this is all, frankly, nonsense on its face. I mean, <laughs> for one thing, kids, kids, when they pull barrettes out of their hair, when they're pulling the snaps out of their onesie to make it more like a dress, this is just kids being kids. And frankly, to say otherwise is to press regressive gender stereotypes onto these kids that I thought we were trying to get over, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if a kid wants to play with trucks in the sand, does that mean she's a boy? If a boy likes to bake cupcakes and play with dolls, does that mean that he's a girl? Of course not. I mean, the feminist movement has been working against this for decades, right? Like, you don't have to uh, be a roughhouser. You can be a tomboy. That's okay, right? right like, right. yet yeah, now we flip that on its head again and we're pressing those regressive stereotypes. And then we're adding all of this pseudoscience. Like first, the regressive stereotypes tells us whether someone is a boy or a girl, not their body. And then the even as an infant, before they can talk, these babies can tell us what they are. Well, I mean, come on. Uh, as as Maria Keffler says in the in the film, like her kid, when he was a toddler, he would take his shoes off. What does that mean? That he doesn't want feet, right? Like he wants to be an amputee. <laughs> I mean, it's all just so silly on some levels. Yet they they put it in this academic jargon. And oh, she's a U.S. You know, she's a UC Berkeley professor. I guess she must know what she's talking about. No, I mean, this is this is uh, regressive ideological stereotypes it's pseudoscience there's nothing based in science about this it's it's very cultish frankly it's it's anti-science which you know it's it's just so weird that that we've basically put this superstitious um cult-like ide ideology and and our medical and counseling industries and educational industries have just like grabbed it hook, line, and sinker. Like, wow. It's just, it's you know, on one hand, you kind of laugh. You're like, what are you doing? But on, it's just so incredibly sad. Um, but yeah. I think it does, it does ultimately, I think, point to what you were talking about with, it's almost theological, like that, you know, the, the 
idea of the devil being the hero. I mean, that's not even not even in regards to sin, but just a Gnostic dualism. Like Gnosticism says that um, matter is bad and that the devil was a hero by rejecting God's creation and fighting against God, right? Like that's the Gnostic story. Mm -hmm. Well, this is really that in a way. It's a Gnostic dualism just regurgitated for the 21st century where we see rebellion against God, rebellion against matter, rebellion against the body, rebellion against the created order as the thing we should do. Okay. So it's very anti-Christian in that way. Yeah. It's very, I mean, anti, anti most religions, frankly, but, but certainly right, anti-Christian. Right. Yeah. Um, the, so, the, the, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure people, where can people see the film? It's called Disconnected. It's, it's D-Y-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-E-D, not, you know, the normally way you play. Right, it, right. Spell Dis- disconnected. disconnected for dysphoria. Dysphoria, um, yes. You can go to, you can go to donjohnsonmedia.com. That will give you links to like the DVD if you want. You can stream it online worldwide right now. Um, if you want to go directly to the stream, you can go to disconnectedmovie.com. Mm-hmm. That will also provide you links to the DVD uh, and the movie. Um, it's streaming at our, uh, my film site. My film production company is Runaway Planet picture so it streams there at runawayplanet.com but if you want the one-stop shop um, go to disconnectedmovie.com or donjohnsonmedia.com all right i want to thank you so much uh don for being on lighthouse faith podcast i appreciate it lauren thanks so much for having me on and thank you and thank you all for listening to lighthouse faith um i'm lauren green have a blessed day This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.